folks, thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Federalist Files. We'll be covering Federalist number 54 today. It is titled The Apportionment of Members Among the States. Written by James Madison, February 12th, 1788. Topics include the Three-Fifths Compromise, Electoral College Introduction, Taxation and representation to be evaluated on the same grounds to safeguard from inflation to numbers. It's kind of uh, confusing. So this one, in in a general sense, it confronts the apportionment as in per how many people, uh, per per representative. Um, It also confronts and addresses the issue of whether they counted slaves as uh, part of those numbers, part of... And they were calling them at this time inhabitants. Um, And it was weird. The South wanted them to be counted, but didn't want them to be counted as property. If they were counted as property, that would increase the taxation in the South. So they had, that's why they called this the three-fifths compromise. So what what the South wanted is they wanted every single slave to be counted as an inhabitant uh, because that would give them more, more power in terms of leg- federal legislative power, in terms of members in the House of Representatives, it is for example, it's actually very similar to what's going on today in a way. Um, illegal aliens, the idea of having them count on the census is because then when you go to gerrymander or redistrict, those individuals are counted. So if you in a district have, I think it's 600,000 representatives now to every single. Um, to every single House of Rep member. I think that's the number. Not 100% sure, but if you have 400,000 people in one district and there's 200,000 illegal aliens, that district still, if you have 200,000 people that don't count as citizens and, and aren't going to vote, it still counts as one House of Rep member. So you end up getting more and more members uh, through this through a system like that. So what the South wanted is they wanted that idea. They wanted each inhabitant to be counted as uh, one person. I'm not exactly sure ex- how. I don't. Th- I don't think there was voting rights at this time for slaves. Uh, so the three fifths compromise was to count every five slaves as three people. I think it was the point of it. I don't know exactly in terms of voting if that they actually counted uh, in terms of vote. I, I'm not exactly sure at this time how that worked exactly. Maybe I can look it up real quick. <laughs> And the reason for this was the South wanted more legislators. So it it was a compromise reached among state delegates during the 1787 due to dispute over how slaves would be counted. So this I didn't even think. And this was because of the number of seats and then additionally how much you would have to pay in taxes. So they counted that towards the purpose of apportioning. They didn't even count that towards the purpose of actually voting. Um, and the third, more electoral votes than if slaves had been ignored, but fewer than if slaves had been counted equally with free citizens. And the reason for this is so you had the North, the North that knew if each slave was counted as an inhabitant, it would give the South much more legislative power. Um, some of these, some of these bigger states would have way more power than some of these smaller states, or it just it would throw the the power out of whack, the power dynamic, uh, the federal power dynamic, because you would give the southern states way more federal legislative power. So they came up with the idea of this compromise, three-fifths. And additionally, on top of that, the reason for that was to also save taxes um, in the South. 
because they were trying to figure out a system for taxation and they were trying to figure out by each inhabitant in the individual states that's how much is to give be given from those states to the federal government it's based solely they were trying to base it solely on um population this paper it'll get into it i'm going to get into it as i read um so it starts off with Madison addressing the issue on the amount of representation that is to be apportioned to each state as being dependent on the population. So he starts off, and I quote, The next view, which I shall take of the House of Representatives, relates to the appointment of its members to the several states, which is to be determined by the same rule with that of direct taxes. It is not contended that the number of people in each state ought not to be the standard for regulating the proportion of those who are to represent the people of each state. The establishment of the same rule for the appointment of taxes will probably be as little contested, though the rule itself in this case is by no means founded on the same principle. In the former case, the rule is understood to refer to the personal rights of the people with which it has a natural and universal connection. End quote. So they're saying the apportionment how many representatives of the house that you get to your state is all based on population. That's the way he explains it. And then they're talking about a direct taxation as well. He says that may also be through population, but not for the same reason. For the very first reason, it's because that is the personal rights of the people. And they're still trying to kind of figure out uh, the, the direct taxation. So he goes on. States next. In the latter, it has reference to the proportion of wealth, of which it is in no case a precise measure and in ordinary cases a very unfit one. But notwithstanding, the imperfection of the rule is applied to the relative wealth and contributions of the states. It is evidently the least objectionable among the practicable rules, and had too recently obtained the general sanction of America not to have found a ready preference with the convention. End quote. So it says this one's still up for debate. We're still trying to figure it out. We're trying to look at it in terms of the proportion of the wealth of the state. So if you, let's say you have these 13 colonies or these 13 states and New Jersey has, you know, one of the, one of the best economies and New Jersey's economies in terms of GDP every single year, their economy makes up about 25% of the union. Then they would be taxed accordingly in proportion to that. Maybe the proportion would be some sort of uh, percentage. Let's say it was a 3% direct taxation on each state individually. So it wouldn't be based on how many people you have in population or really exactly how much wealth you had, it'd be much more reliant on a percentage base, a flat tax. In other words, which I, I personally think is the fairest, the fairest way to do taxation. I think that's the way that income tax should work to begin. If we're going to have income tax, I'm a huge fan of even having the income tax, considering it was banned from the constitution in the very, uh, in the very originating document until they passed the 16th amendment in, I think it was 1914 or 1913 to make uh, direct taxation or income tax legal. Probably one of the worst decisions that we've ever made as a country. <laughs> uh, but if you're going to do it, it should just be a flat rate tax. And I think that's what he's kind of going towards. But that's not really the point of this paper as much. It's much more about the three-fifths compromise. And at this point, when he writes this, he talks about two-fifths instead of three-fifths. Obviously, they end up compromising on the compromise, and they make it three-fifths. But I'm going to go forward here. So he states next, and I quote, all this is admitted, it will perhaps be said, but does it follow from an admission of numbers for the measure of representation or of slaves combined with free citizens as a ratio of taxation, that slaves ought to be included in the numerical rule of representation, 
Slaves are considered as property, not as persons. They ought therefore to be comprehended in estimates of taxation which are founded on property and to be excluded from representation which is regulated by a census of persons, end quote. So this is the way that the South was, let's see, the South, and this is Madison at this time, was pretty, I think he had a couple of slaves, but he was much more of a humane slave owner, I think. Uh, Hamilton did not have any. But he was Madison was pretty opposed to it, even though he had some, which I find doesn't really. It's very odd, but he's much more humane about his ownership. I believe upon his death they were freed. They lived in in very good conditions relative to the time, comparatively to other slaves. There's there are degrees and magnitudes to being a slave owner at that time. There were people that treated their slaves very badly, and then there were some that treated them much better. Um, I think Madison, I, be, I believe his slaves slept in the same house as him. Um, they eat like the same meals as him from, from what I've read. So it goes on. Uh, additionally, taxation in terms of property will be apportioned as dependent on the value of that property. Thus, different states will have differences in taxation depending on individual property wealth. Also, Madison condemns the egregious reprehensible actions that have been taken upon the slaves. So we're going to start going into that a little bit as well. And, and he, what he's doing is he is characterizing the arguments of his dissenters of the southern slave owners and he goes on to kind of explain their argument and then his counter argument to them so he goes on he states next and i quote this is the objection as i understand it stated in its full force i shall be equally candid in stating the reasoning which may be offered on the opposite side we subscribe to the doctrine might one of our southern brethren observe and this is what the southern brethren as in the slave owner would say and I quote, that representation relates more immediately to persons and taxation more immediately to property. And we join in the application of this distinction to the case of our slaves. But we must deny the fact that slaves are considered merely as property. Um, and in no respect, whatever, as persons. The true state of the case is that they partake of both these qualities being considered by our laws in some respects as persons and in other respects as property. End quote. Which I think is very interesting. Or maybe that was his... Might one of our... Oh, okay. So that is his debate back to the Southern Brethren. The Southern Brethren saying, um, we have subscribed to the doctrine. Which I don't know exactly what that means. But that's his response. Is Okay, so if you guys... If you guys want to count these people as people, you can't have it both ways. You can't count them uh, in your legislative power and then act like they're not property and, and don't have to uh, pay taxation on them. That's his point. So he, he continues on this. He states next, and I quote, In being compelled to labor not for himself but for a master, in being vendable by one master to another master, and in being su subject at all times to be restrained in his liberty and chastised in his body by the capricious will of another, the slave may appear to be degraded from the human rank and classed with those irrational animals which fall under the illegal denomination of property. In being protected, on the other hand, in his li life and in his limbs, against the violence of all others, even the master of his labor and his liberty, and in being punishable himself for all violence committed against others, the slave is no less evidently uh, regarded by the law as a member of the society, not as a part of the irrational creation, as a moral person, not as a mere article of property. End quote. So this is very interesting. What he's trying to say, I think what Madison this entire time is saying, okay, so you guys can't have it both ways. You cannot say... 
that and at the south well like i said before the south wanted each they wanted the three-fifths they actually wanted each one of their slaves to be counted as a inhabitant uh, so they can get more legislative power but at the same time they did not treat their slaves that way like they were inhabitants or like they were free citizens they treated them as property so what madison's response is is really his answer is we should not count these people as citizens because you guys are not treating them as such um if you want them to be counted as citizens you guys are gonna have to release them and make them free citizens uh, to do so and this this was the debate in the south they actually but they, but they didn't want at the same time they didn't want to call them property either because the south then knew they would get more taxation that they would have to pay so that's why they came up with this three-fifths comp compromise they, they counted three-fifths to please the southerners and then they counted three-fifths also to please the northerners because there would be then there would be a tax on those three-fifths as well that's the point of this um, it, it was an attempt to attempt to try to phase out or deter slavery and that was the point of 1812 having a heavy taxation on every single imported slave from another country that's the point of all of this so he goes on he states next and i quote the federal constitution therefore decides with great propriety on the case of our slaves when it views them in the mixed character of persons and of property this is in fact their true character it is the character bestowed on them by the laws under which they live and it will not be denied that these are the proper criterion uh, because it is only under the pretext that the laws have transformed the negroes into subjects of property that a place is disputed them in the computation of numbers and it is admitted that if the laws were to restore the rights which have been taken away the negroes could no longer be refused an equal share of representation with the other inhabitants end quote so and, and once again this is him saying if the southerners really want to count every single slave as a citizen then they need to free them instantly they need to do it right now at this point if that's what they want but under the position that they're in you can't say that they're a free citizen and they count as a inhabitant of the country and then expect them and then not treat them as such um because you want to dodge taxation and you want more legislative power so he goes on next he states and i quote this question may be placed in another light it is agreed on all sides that numbers are the best scale of wealth and taxation as they are the only proper scale of representation would the convention have been impartial or consistent if they had rejected the slaves from the list of inhabitants when the shares of representation were to be calculated and inserted them on the lists when the tariff of contribution was to be adjusted could it be reasonably expected that the southern states would concur in a system which considered their slaves in some degree as men when burdens were to be imposed but refused to consider them in the same light when advantages were to be conferred end quote so he's just calling out their hypocrisy he's saying you know these people are playing they're playing games they think that they deserve more legislative power but they don't want to treat their slaves as as uh, free citizens and they want to gain that power through these really illicit means and um but but at the same time they also don't want to be taxed so they don't they don't want to grant them they want them like in the middle area where they can really uh, dehumanize them as much as possible in this case and that was the case the north did not agree even at the inception of this country the north did not agree with slavery so this this critical race theory this 1619 project trying to characterize all the founders and, and all the very beginning of america the way in which it was created and founded it is it is false it's categorically false the north did not want slavery whereas the south did and and they ended up paying for that in the south because the north because it was a much more free market 
they were much more efficient. Uh, they did a better job, and they became much more economically powerful than these southern country, uh, these southern states. And then, like the Civil War that happened, transpired, and the South lost. Uh, simply, the South lost because of economics. Uh, in, in terms of leadership, Grant was a way worse general than um, it was the Southern. I'm trying to think of the Confederate. Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee was a way better general. Uh, he he was leaps and bounds above Ulysses Grant, if you ever read historically. The reason he lost had nothing to do with, uh, you know, his 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 lack of prowess on the battlefield, his ability to lead. The reason he lost was simply economical reasons and the amount of the population just didn't add up. They didn't have the money to do what they needed to do in the North One. Thank God. Um, but he, he goes on here. States next, and I quote, Might not some surprise also be expressed that those who reproach the southern states with the barbarous or the barbarous policy of considering as property a part of their human brethren should themselves contend that the government to which all the states are to be parties ought to consider this unfortunate race more completely in the unnatural light of property than the very laws of which they complain. Uh, and then he quotes here, I don't know if this is him or another person, it may be replied perhaps that slaves are not included in the estimate of represent representatives in any of the states possessing them. They need neither vote themselves nor increase the votes of their masters. Upon what principle then ought they to be taken into the federal estimate of representation? In rejecting them altogether, the Constitution would in this respect have followed the very laws which have been appealed to as the proper guide. End quote. So what he's saying is in these individual states, they don't even recognize uh, slaves as citizens. They don't recognize them as inhabitants. They recognize them as property. They're not able to vote. So, and, and just point to point out the condemnation that James Madison pushes on the southern states for the policies that they hold in, in these terms. Uh, the fact that you, once again, you treat them like they're property and you're not treating them like they're citizens, you can't have it both ways. This is what he's saying. Uh, he goes on. He states next, and I quote, This objection is repelled by a single observation. It is a fundamental principle of the proposed Constitution that as the aggregate number of representatives allotted to the several states is to be determined by a federal rule founded on the aggregate number of inhabitants, so the right of choosing this allotted number in each state is to be exercised by such part of the inhabitants as the state itself may designate. The qualifications on which the right of suffrage depend are not perhaps the same in any two states. In some of the states, the difference is very material. In every state, a certain proportion of inhabitants are deprived of this right by the constitution of the state, who will be included in the census by which the federal constitution apportions the representatives. End quote. So he's saying each individual state has its own rules for voting, its own rules for apportionment in their own legislative branches of the states but in this particular instance this is the federal constitution these are the federal rules on what is to be considered an inhabitant and what is to be counted by the census uh, which is the, the way that we currently do it now um, these sanctuary cities are actually in direct violation of the constitution because of this because you cannot have an apportionment you can't be counting people that are not citizens of the united states and are not even here on work visas they're illegal aliens you cannot count them in the census because constitutionally they should not count there is no legal legislative power because those representatives do not represent illegal aliens 
in the country. So he goes on next, he states, and I quote, In this point of view, the southern states might retort the complaint by insisting that the principle laid down by the convention required that no regard should be had to the policy of particular states towards their own inhabitants, and consequently that the slaves as inhabitants should have been admitted into the census according to their full number in like manner with other inhabitants who by the policy of other states are not admitted to all the rights of citizens. A rigorous adherence, however, to this principle is waived by those who, who would be gainers by it. All that they ask is that equal moderation be shown on the other side. Let the case of the slaves be considered, as it is in truth, a peculiar one. Let the compromising expedient of the Constitution be mutually adopted, which regards them as inhabitants, but as debased by servitude below the equal level of free inhabitants, which regards the slave as divested of two-fifths of the man. So, he's, he's talking about... And it's, I guess, the uh, in this point of view, the southern states might retort the complaint by insisting that the principle laid down the convention required that no regard should be had. Yeah, so so what the southern states are, what the southern states are trying to push is that the states themselves have the rights, the right to uh, classify what is an inhabitant, what is a citizen, what is a slave, and what their value is, which just is not the truth. That's not the case. The federal government is to do that. The federal government is in charge of legal the legalization process of citizenry. Um, and and what this compromise and he re, he he uh, he refers to it the two fifths of a man, and I guess in the very beginning when they were debating the Constitution that's what they were going with it was going to be two fifths and ends up being three fifths, uh, three fifths compromise is what they call it. So Madison he admits that he compromised with the South in order to gain an acceptance vote in favor of the Constitution. Owners were taxed on those slaves and slaves were given three fifths of a vote. Uh, or th th not three-fifths of a vote, but rather three-fifths of representation. I don't even think they were counted uh, in terms of voting. There's three-fifths of representation in the legislative branch. Uh, the commingling of the topic of slave suffrage, along with the method by which representatives would be apportioned, is due to the dependence on population. Southern slave owners wanted an increase in population in order to gain more representation. They wanted slaves to count towards representation. The taxation of these slaves and the eventual constitutional taxation on importation of slaves in 1812 by Madison was a sanguine action to try and rid America of this grotesque form of servitude. So he goes on, he talks about a compromise, I believe, next in this quote. So next he states, and he, and he states a couple of rhetorical questions. He says, and I quote, After all, may not another ground be taken on which this article of the Constitution will admit of a still more ready defense? We have hitherto proceeded on the idea that representation related to persons only and not at all to property. But is it a just idea? Government is instituted no less for protection of the property than of the persons of individuals. The one as well as the other, therefore, may be considered as represented by those who are charged with the government. End quote. So he's saying the federal government, the point of the government is not only to protect property, but also, and more importantly, it is to protect the people themselves. And he says, is this just? Is, is this justification, the idea that, you know, the, these, these slaves are considered three-fifths three -fifths in, in the legislative power, three-fifths of the population? Um, is this just? We are meant to be here. The frame of the government is to protect the individual and protect the property at the same time. We're not doing either one in this case. So furthermore, whether uh, whichever side a citizen fell on the government... Where representation 
uh, for slaves as well. He detailed that in the federal government, and I quote, Upon this principle, it is that in several of the states, and particularly in the state of New York, one branch of the government is intended more especially to be the guardian of property and is accordingly elected by that part of the society which is most interested in this object of government. In the federal constitution, this policy does not prevail. The rights of property are committed into the same hands with the personal rights as well. So he states that, and that's just what I mentioned before. So Madison, in this paper, he also establishes the concept behind the Electoral College, giving states, no matter what the wealth, influence, or population, the same power in proportion to other states in terms of population and representation for federal elections. So it does not have anything to do with how much money your country brings through uh, in the budget every single year, how much of the monetary value of your or the GDP of your state. None of that matters. What matters is the population and the citizens. So he goes on, he states next, and I quote, States have not, like individuals, an influence over each other, arising from superior advantages of fortune. If the law allows an opulent citizen, but a single vote in the choice of his representative, the respect and consequence which he derives from his fortunate situation very frequently guide the votes of others to the objects of his choice and through the imperceptible channel the rights of property are conveyed into the public representation a state possesses no such influence over other states it is not probable that the richest state in the confederacy will ever influence the choice of a single representative in any other state end quote so he's saying even the most opulent even the most rich dude um, when he goes to vote, his vote's going to count as one. All free citizens, they should all count as one. And there's going to be people that, from, from the rich guy, when he goes to vote, people are going to follow the rich dude. Um, so, so yes, they will have some sort of power and influence, in a, in a way. But he will have no influence in terms of representatives of other states or he only has this person only casts one vote so we see this today we see this today in um the celebrity class the celebrity class they hold a lot of money they have a lot of capital they're the ones attempting to influence politics uh which is something that that is somewhat frowned upon to a way but you give people the free choice to listen to these celebrities and that's the point of the whole thing it all makes sense. It is all what a free country is supposed to be. What you do is you count on the citizenry to be smart enough to not listen or to uh, always question what the celebrity class says, which we don't see today go on very often. So next he quotes, he states, and I quote, The new constitution is, in this respect, materially different from the existing confederation as well as from that of the United Netherlands and other similar confederacies in each of the latter the efficacy of the federal resolutions depends on the subsequent and voluntary resolutions of the states composing the union. Hence, the states, though possessing an unequal vote, an, an equal vote in the public councils, have an unequal influence corresponding with the unequal importance of these subsequent and voluntary resolutions. Under the proposed constitution, the federal acts will act will take effect without the necessary intervention of the individual states. End quote. So he says it's different from the, uh, in respect to the United Netherlands. He says in each of the latter, and he's talking about the United ne Netherlands and other confederacies, the voluntary resolutions of the states composing an equal vote in the public councils have an unequal influence. 
So he's saying some states and these other confederacies had more power than other states. In this case, the states will have all the equal amount of power, not equity, but they will have the equal amount of power. They will all play by the same guidelines and the same rules for each individual state. Six, you know, so many citizens were to each representative. I think at this time I want to say it was maybe 30,000. Uh, 30,000 for every single representative. I think that was the number at this time. Uh, so all the rules, all the states play by the same rules. This is considered equal, not not equitable. So not every single state we're going to have the same amount of representatives, but every single state played by the same rule, the same uniform rules. So next he goes on, and I quote, they will depend merely on the majority of votes in the federal legislature, and con consequently each vote, whether proceeding from a large or smaller state, or a state more or less wealthy or powerful, will have an equal weight and efficacy in the same manner as the votes individually given in a state legislature by the representatives of unequal counties and or other districts have each a precise equality of value and effect or if there be any difference in the case it proceeds from the difference in the personal character of the individual representative rather than from any regard to the extent of the district from which he comes end quote so he's just accentuating this um, the example that I played out before where you have these sanctuary cities and you have these people in specific, specific states, you have these different districts that play by totally different rules. So you have people taking advantage of illegal aliens being here and adding them to the census and adding more legislative power to districts that don't deserve that legislative power. So now we have specific districts, uh, for example, in New Jersey, I think it's district 12, in New Jersey that, that some of these sanctuary cities lie under, they have more legislative power than a district in Missouri if Missouri does not have those same sanctuary city laws. So we have specific states that are not playing by the rules, and this is now considered an unequal system. So under the Constitution, there was not to be an unequal system. That was the whole plan of this whole thing. So in conclusion, and this is the very last quote I have, in conclusion, Madison states that by putting representation and taxation in the same method of evaluation, it deters those who would try to inflate population numbers for hopes of more representative power because this would further raise taxation. So next, these states end that quote. In one respect, the establishment of a common measure for representation and taxation will have a very salutary effect as the accuracy of the census to be obtained by the Congress will necessarily depend in a considerable degree on the disposition, if not on the cooperation of the states. It is of great importance that the states should feel as little bias as possible to swell or to reduce the amount of their numbers were their share of representation alone to be governed by this rule. They would have an interest in exaggerating their inhabitants. Were the rule to decide their share of taxation alone, a contrary temptation would prevail. By extending the rule of both objects, the states will have opposite interests, which will control and balance each other and produce the requisite impartiality. End quote. So this is more importantly. If we go this by this rule, if we go with population, to determine how much taxation is to be uh, held or how much taxation is to be taken in different states, then we would have an actual real number uh, in terms of the population. We would not have certain states misreporting their population because then they have to pay more in taxes and they would they would get more uh, legislative power because people aren't going to do – they're not going to pump up their numbers just to get more legislative power if they have to pay more out of their pocket. It's actually a very good system in terms of um, – 
the way in which they balance it out. But the only problem is, is certain specific states are going to be different economically than other states. And that's, I think, where they find their issue. I'm not sure specifically. I'm pretty sure there is no provision uh, for direct taxation in states based on population. I'm not 100% sure, but this was, I guess, while they were crafting the Constitution, they were having this debate back and forth. And I know at some time he did mention what I said as the compromise. I'm just trying to find the exact quote because I, I must have said it earlier because I know I have it uh, in here somewhere. I think that, that, that's going to be it for this one then because I, I can't find it. I have so much. I have so much written down. But yeah, this one is a uh, this one's a pretty harsh one because you have a lot of talk about slavery, how and, and what you the common theme from the left right now you hear that three fifths. Oh well, well the government when it was first proposed only thought three fifths uh, a black man was worth three fifths of a real man. That's actually not the case. The South wanted them to be the South. The people that you're taking taking the side of the people that wanted them to be counted as a full person was the side that was enslaving them, and the North was the side that was saying, we shouldn't count them as free persons because you guys don't treat them that way. They should be treated as property, so you guys get taxed the hell out of, and that's how we stop slavery. So you had that common th you had that common fighting going on. It is actually uh, misrepresented in the news and in the, uh, the historical context, and all you got to do is you got to read the uh, Federalist Papers, and it's all in there. So I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Uh, please like, share, subscribe, drop the mic, let people know about the podcast. I greatly appreciate you guys all for tuning in. Make sure you check out uh, my current event podcast. I know this recent weekend was a pretty big one, pretty huge. Some Dr. Fauci stuff on there, making him look like a fraud. And then we have our foreign leaders or foreign adversaries going after President Biden because they know that he's in a steep cognitive decline. So yeah, just check those out. Some very important news on those so you know the fight that's coming ahead, that's coming to your door uh, in the near future. So I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. And I will see you all next time. Thank you.